0: You are listening to First InHuman, where we interview industry leaders and investors to learn about their journey to inhuman clinical trials, presented by Vile, a tech-enabled CRO, hosted by co-founder and CEO Simon Burns, with episodes launching weekly on Tuesdays and Thursdays. For episode 25, we sit down with Dr. Paul Lammers, CEO of Triumvira Immunologics. Stay tuned to learn why having multiple programs and clinical trials can provide a safety net should one program fail, and how it adds additional value for investors. Dr. Paul Lambers, thank you for joining us on First Human. You're welcome, Simon. Great to be here. Well, first off, tell us a little bit about yourself and what you're up to with Triumviria Therapeutics and what you've been building. Yeah, it's great. So obviously, look, just a
1: great background. I'm a physician and biologist by training, but I've been in pharma and biotech for 34 years now in 2023. And so I've been involved in a lot of different therapeutic areas, but also was involved in quite a few products that got FDA approval, which is exciting. The last 12, 13 years, I've been really focused on oncology and cancer therapies because at the end of the day, the reason that you're in drug development is you want to make a difference in a patient's life, and what better way to do it? To try to solve a disastrous disease like cancer. So it's great to do that. At Triavera, I was initially thinking about joining the company. I was intrigued by cell therapy, which is up and coming right now, one of the hottest areas in immunology. And the reason that makes it so interesting is that it's almost the ideal personalized medicine. And we can get into that, you know, a bit later, Simon, perhaps. I joined Tramvera in January 2018. At that time, there were two scientists in McMaster University in Hamilton, Ontario, out of the lab of Jonathan Bramson, where the technology came forth. Right now, we have 75 people uh, spread. We have 60% in the U.S., 40% in Canada. So it's great to build a team and keep moving. The nice thing is we're basically developing both autologous or patient-derived and allogeneic or off-the-shelf donor-derived cell therapies directed, especially against solid tumors, which is a very difficult area to work and operate in, but it has the greatest opportunity. So initially, we started off looking at heme disease with targets like CD19 and BCMA. However, those areas became so crowded that especially with our investors, with our directors on the board, decided you know, why don't we switch direction and make solid tumors our primary target. So our first programs in the clinic, we're targeting HER2, which is a very well-known uh, target expressed on solid tumors, especially breast cancer, gastric cancer, and other cancer types. And then followed later this year, we're starting our first clinical trial against Claudin 18.2. That is an interesting new target, especially in gastric cancer, pancreatic cancer, and cancers. And we have two others behind that in Gucci 2C and GPC3 in the coming years. So we'll do quite a few clinical trial launches in this year and, and the next few years. And right now, we're still working on Tollica, so patient derives that we can talk about that. But we're also, next year, we hope to bring our first allo or off-the-shelf program, into the clinic as well.
0: Still very exciting. You announced recently a partnership to do some work in combination with KITRUDA with Merck. Tell us a little bit more about that. And then for small biotech companies hoping to partner with pharma, what advice do you have for them on navigating the ecosystem?
1: There is a good scientific rationale. Why do you want to combine a cell therapy like ours with Keytruda or pembrolizumab, as the name of the drug is? Tumors are really smart, right? And what they do normally is they try to minimize the patient's own immune system to be effective against cancer cells. So they put these breaks in place. And the break really means is it minimizes the chance that your own lymphocytes, your own immune system cells can actually attack the cancer cells. So what does pembrolizumab, or so Keytruda does, or Abdivo is another product in the same category. They take that break away, we hope, will show that we can extend the effect of our cell therapy that we're administering to the patient by giving Ketruda. So we've been in touch with Merck for a long time now, they're intrigued about the our technology platform, about the progress. So they have agreed to work with us and provide ketruda you know, free of charge to the patients that will participate in that specific arm of the trial. And in terms of working with pharma, it's just like working with potential investors, right? So you need to meet, you know, often with them. You need to show progress initially preclinically, but once you're in the clinic, it's all about the next set of data and the next set of data, and it keeps going. I think that we need to realize that these big pharma companies, whether it be Merck, Pfizer, you go down the list, are being inundated with requests from companies that want to work with them. So they've been very picky and for right reasons, because all these research collaborations are very expensive. Clinical trials are very expensive. But we're very happy that Merck is interested in the progress and was able to provide Coutruda
0: for a trial, which is awesome. Fantastic. You're one of the very few biotech companies taking as many programs into the clinic as you are. Take us through some of the thinking there and how have you thought about your path into the clinic? These are all challenging questions for biotech companies. It's a great question,
1: Simon. And the reason is, look, as we all know in life, you learn the most from the things that go wrong, right? Say in my previous company, we had one program in the clinic. Once you become a bit of a single-trick pony, it gets dangerous because if the pony stumbles, the whole company comes down. This is exactly what happened. So I like to get multiple programs in the clinic as soon as we can because it adds strong additional lags under the company, right? So that's the reason that we started with her too. We're on with that trial. We're adding Claudin. We're adding Gucci, et cetera. So I think it will give also for investors reason to believe not only in our platform technology, but also realizing that, God forbid, something goes wrong with the lead program, there is a second program or a third program. Because at the end of the day, you want to do best for your shareholders, for your investors, that they can have a nice return on their investment. So value inflection points across multiple programs is the
0: way to go. This is not your first biotech bear market. You've seen this before. Uh, You've navigated how to allocate capital through it.
1: Yeah, you know, it's really tough, right? And it gets back to one of your questions about a challenging funding environment, right? I mean, what do
0: you do as a CEO
1: of a startup? I mean, first off, I would tell them, and in fact, I've given some talks to CEOs of startups here in Texas is take a deep breath and hold on for the ride. I mean, it's um, it's a tough road, right? You need to meet with a lot of folks. You need to meet very often with these folks because sometimes it takes a while before the coin to drop that so they truly understand the benefit of what you're trying to do. But as I said, they're always asking for, hey, you have money. Why don't you do the experiments and come back in six months, right? I mean, you hear that a lot, right? So I think you need to hold on to it for the ride. I think you need to make sure also... That you develop a bit of an elephant skin because they can tell you things that are not so nice, but you should not let that deter you from being on this road, trying to raise that funding. Because look, there's a lot of fish in the ocean, so to say, and there's you know people interested. And so please don't get sidetracked because somebody makes you a nasty comment about your technology, the company, whatever it is, because that just happens as life, Right. Once you do have investors, so you have inside investors, it's very important that they're willing to stay on for the ride as well. So are they sometimes willing to reinvest, you know, add, because obviously right now in Biotech, financing is really tough. So if they're willing to make sure you have adequate runway to get to this next value inflection point, that is absolutely key. And so therefore also, they're very helpful because they have mostly their VCs, so they have their own buddies, their own network. For them also to make introductions that will follow up with some of these key investors themselves as well.
0: I love this, Paul, very pragmatic advice. Last question for you. We're in the clinical trial business. We think a lot about how to make clinical trials more efficient. Where do you think there's room to make clinical trials more efficient? And when you're advising early stage biotech companies who speak to you, what advice do you have on running clinical trials in terms of just structuring it, planning it, and making sure execution goes to plan? What's your typical advice?
1: Well, clearly, you cannot do it all yourself unless you build up a huge organization, right? So what happens is you need service providers. You need a clinical research organization that knows the business, that knows the site, that is easy to work with, easy in communicating, responsive to your questions, to your needs. So obviously, then there's a tendency because if some people say, well, if you go to a big CRO, they have all this experience. And they say, yes, that is so true. But there's a downside to that as well. Just from a cost perspective, they have a huge overhead and guess what? You're paying part of that overhead. And the other thing that happens is if you are a small biotech company and you have, for instance, you have a number of CRAs that they're using for your study, suddenly a big pharma comes along and says, hey, send me all the resumes of the CRAs you have and I'm going to pick the best ones. And as a small company, you're like, where the hell did my CRAs go? And they just went to another project. I mean, That is very frustrating. You have a turnover in people, which is normal because that happens. But if you have two or three project managers in a year, I mean, that gets really frustrating because you have to take this person to the whole road again. You're starting from scratch. So working with a smaller, motivated group of people is extremely useful. And I think that pays off. But also you need to realize from a sponsor perspective, if you outsource it, you also need people to manage the outsourcers, right? A lot of people say, well, I gave it to the CRO and I expect them to come back in six months, 12 months with a beautiful study report that I can submit to the FDA. And reminds me of the Hertz commercial. Not really, right? I mean, really? Because you need to make sure that you stay on top of that. You need to have a small team of experienced people in your company that can talk on a daily basis with those service providers, whether that is for animal studies so you need to have somebody, preclinical pharmacology person in the company who can talk to the study director when they're doing a mouse study, say, hey, were the mice injected today? Was anything happening today with the mice? I mean, it sounds like simple questions, but they are absolutely critical for ultimately conduct. And the same on the clinical trial side, right? You need to have, make sure that they follow what the FDA is asking for from the rules and regulations. Oh, everything is done A-OK. I mean, look, there are three key things in biotech or in clinical research, Cost, quality, and time, right? You cannot create time as biotech, but it has to be quality. I mean, the good old Ford slogan was, time is job number one. So your quality should never be questioned. It needs to be stand up any kind of scrutiny that the FDA will do or partners will do. Cost is important, but also if you ask for multiple RFPs for projects, don't go with the smallest bit because you may end up getting what you paid for, basically. So it's an interesting balance. And of course, experience pays off. If you would ask any head of R&D, head of clinical at a pharma company that working with CROs, they may say, with a single CRO, you may have good, bad, or ugly experiences. You know, that's just also the nature of the beast, right? But if you have people that you like, work with, you know, are responsive, you have great calls, at the end of the day, your project becomes their project as well. So they need to have the feeling of ownership and your success as well.
0: To not agree more, I think the challenge of going between a big zero to small zero is exactly how you describe it. And then you pick a small zero. the real challenge is, are they going to scale? Can they manage the scale mom and pop works well? You can always be hands-on, but the question is, can you manage the scale? Last question for you, one of the key things that biotech CEOs are always asking us is, how do I know what to look for in the team? The CRO presents a team. What are you looking for on your side of the table when you're looking for the right team to partner with?
1: Well, I think that first off, you look at the experience, the type of studies that they've done and how many times have they done them. When it comes to the medical reviewers, so the clinical operations side of things. So if you're running against a trial, do they have a medical oncologist on the staff or on call that has been there and knows how to deal with it that understands how also the, how the FDA thinking is your trial management, right? As I mentioned, the CRA already the design of the study helped there. Great communication is key in everything in life, including working with a CRO and obviously the interaction with the trial side personnel, the study coordinators, the principal investigators, all that is absolutely critical. Looking at safety, I mean, safety happens, right? I mean, adverse events happen. To what extent, is really good to have that expertise on the CRO side to say, look, this is something that is part of the patient's disease and not directly related to your drug that you're administering, right? That's really, really important. And write up those narratives adequately and submit them on time to the agency, you know, and openly biomarkers is another thing. So if people have experience, you can connect them with another CRO or a lab that has experience in doing the type of biomarkers that you're looking for. At the end of the day, it needs to be a really well old machine between the different service providers. Because if you run a clinical trial, you may end up having 20 or 30 different service providers involved in various aspects of it, right? So that coordination and making it into that well old machine will pay off big time in the time spent, Far fewer frustrations with running your trial and getting ultimately to the results and the endpoints that you're looking for.
0: Very wise advice. Well, Paul, with that, best of luck with Triumvera, and we'll keep watching as you guys progress into the clinic later this year, into the future years. Thank you again for joining us. Hey, you're welcome, Simon. Great to chat. Thanks for listening. Be sure to follow us on Apple, Spotify, and Google.